0: Welcome to episode 282 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, and it's a wonderful occasion because Courtney Nguyen is here. Hi, Courtney. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Ben. How are you?
0: I'm great. We're doing a show because we should do shows. I think we have a show planned here, so
1: we're gonna do a show. Worked
0: that on thing's it. Things
1: written scratched down on paper.
0: Yeah, you know, scratchings. I gotta say, I've been pretty um un attracted to tennis lately. <laughs> I just have not been attracted. I've not been well, uh, repelled is probably too strong, but I've not been like drawn in per se. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, to tennis in the, in this fall, which has been a I think a pretty you know even by fall tennis standards. And fall tennis is usually loses some steam in the U.S. I think mm-hmm. even more so with everything going on here, the election, the continuing pandemic news about Zverev. We might talk about uh, a bit in here as well. Like I just I don't know. I'm not I'm not finding myself turning on much tennis channel and tuning into stuff. Have you been? Well, you, you've won you've won WTA tournament left. You have Linz left. Yeah, we have like this
1: this week. You know, I think that after Roland Garros, because obviously we had Estrava after that as well, I have felt that it was just such a sprint for yeah. a good six to eight weeks there from basically, you know, Lex- like Cincinnati, let's say, if you wanted to be really condensed, but Cincinnati, New York, and then obviously U.S. Open, that's three weeks, and then into Rome immediately, yeah. and then right into Roland Garros. That's a, you know, eight week period where things were very, very high stakes every single week. And so I do feel that once the French Open kind of got pocketed, that there was a bit of a kind of a steam valve let off for everyone. I mean, I think that everybody from players to media, everyone just needed to kind of relax because we don't really have stretches like this really during a regular season i mean yes the indian wells miami back to back that'll give you four weeks theoretically but even then i don't i think we always treat one one way people treat one for some of us indian wells is the big one for the rest of us miami's the big one yeah but very rarely do you have to do the double back to back and it's just like a full-on sprint
0: and from a standing start too it wasn't even like we built up to this we we're just like for most yeah. people, obviously, there was Lexington, which did have the Williams sisters and some other big players in it. But for most people, it was like, Cincinnati, go. And then you went yeah. and it, was, it really was a, sort of running like a 800 meter or something. It feels like kind of a sprint. Though. I don't know what kind of distance track fans no, I, sound off yeah. and what it sounds like, but or what it feels like race wise. But yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, like and the French Open was the finish line in a lot of ways to the sort of relevant tennis. And yeah, even if it does tick on and. It's good for people who are doing well. You know, I can talk about, you know, Andrei Rublev continuing his great year or whatever, like uh, Medvedev winning a Masters. We'll get to Zverev stuff. And Zverev is a different sort of, I think, flavor to my disenchantment, which is sure. real and relevant to this whole conversation, I think. But, yeah, I, I yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, it's tough. I mean... It the attention span is only so far. And especially when I think you're working in it and and you kind of have to pay attention to it in a different way. I mean, it's not just like tuning in for entertainment, like that's difficult time zone, obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. for me to spend eight weeks waking up in the middle of the night to cover long events. Like, yeah, no, I'm not going to wake up early to watch something recreationally at the moment, maybe at a different time. Like when it was back in Palermo and Prague, it was like, even if I wasn't working, then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see some tennis and I want to see how these players are doing and all that sort of stuff. But right now, it's it's definitely the job. This is like the job part of it, of, of making sure that things are happening, but um, things are being covered. But obviously, I, I luck out. We have a team at the WTA and and can spread spread the work. I mean, in complete transparency and honesty, they're the ones that are, that are heavy lifting this final week. So I've yeah. been... You know, given the little bit of a reprieve, which has been nice um, and I've been taking advantage of it. But yeah, I, I think that generally it's uh, I think right now the, my sense just kind of following on Twitter is that people are following their faves. Like that's what draws them into the event, not necessarily drawn, being drawn in because it is Paris-Bercy yeah, or uh, that it's London or that it's, you know, if your fave is playing, then obviously you're making space in your calendar and your schedule to tune in, but I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's the sense that I get. Right now, these it's great that these events are going. It's jobs, it's points, it's all of those things that are very, very good for the tennis industrial complex. But from a fan basis, it's it's a little tricky. Only because there's been so much very highly relevant tennis in such a small amount of time. It's it's tough to re engage and to stay engaged that long. We're all human. Yeah or I'll no, and answer.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll add to that my pandemic mid te- mid pandemic tennis ennui that continues. It's there. It's just fair enough. Anyway, I'm 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 an eeyore about these things, but you know, he's a noble character in his own ways and you know, you can't I'm be piglet. piglet. I'm Piglet I, on <laughs> it.
1: I'm not I'm not being eeyore I'm I, but I'm Piglet about it all. Of just kind of like let's try and find let's talk people off of the ledge, but at the same time I'm not Tigger, I'm not like a cheerleader. Like, you know, being like, everything's great. This is awesome. Oh my gosh. Look at this matchup on a Thursday at four o'clock in the morning. This is going to be game. No, I'm not that either. But just kind of like everybody, let's just, you know, let's get through this season. It's miraculous that we had a, se- a season at all after yes. March. Get two majors in. We got three majors in this year, which is crazy. Quite a few masters events as well. Premier mandatory premieres, not mandatories necessarily. In fact, yeah, we none of the mandatories, mandatories, actually. Yeah, none no, of the mandatories. Oh, for four on the mandatories. wow. Yeah, that's that's a, that's that's a tough one. Um, and then we have to rejigger and get ready for for next year, which it's it's gonna come very very quickly. This
0: is actually something we were discussing on when we were on your uh, Twitch stream. <laughs> the other night with folks who were playing uh, some Overcooked. We, talk more we about- Twitch well, now. Well, you yeah, guys we, should we join. It's yeah, fun. Cord- talk about your Twitch, Twitch in time, and then we'll talk about what we talked about, which is about Australia. But let's, Yeah, let's- no,
1: I, I've, been, I've enjoyed Twitch during the pandemic. Um, for those who don't know what Twitch is or maybe have a different conception of what it is, everybody thinks that it's just video game streaming, and why would I want to sit and watch somebody else play a video game? And I totally understand that because I used to be one of those people who absolutely scoffed at Twitch all the time. Like, why would I want to watch this? But especially in the pandemic where it's kind of one of those, like, I've reached the end of the internet. I feel like so many people have reached the end of Netflix. They've reached the end of Hulu. Like, I have I was scrolling today on HBO Max and I was, like, struggling to find something to watch that mm. I hadn't already seen. Um, so I hopped on over to Twitch and I've actually really enjoyed, like, watching other people stream themselves playing games Um, and then there's also a whole section of twitch that is actually not even game related if you go into the categories of like just chatting or there's a whole um, talk shows and podcast section where people are just Chatting, um, and right now it's it's a way of getting interaction with people. Basically, we're kind of on the screen. Either sometimes we're playing a video game, other times we're just talking,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and the the video game is just kind of in the background. And um, and people are commenting in the comments, and so we can kind of respond. It's an interesting way to do Q and A as well. It's a very streamlined way of doing yeah. Q, live Q and A. So it's been really fun, and and yeah. So Ben and I have been playing this this cooking game, this teamwork cooperative. It's seemingly cooperative, although sometimes it gets a little. We're pretty
0: good at it, I got to say, we... so far. So, so we were just in so the far, first so like first like <laughs> ten levels we played. I think the other night when we did it, and I think there is, it's recorded if you watch it. We want to go back and watch yeah, yeah. it. But, yeah, But there were some tactical. But, che- but we were,
1: but we kind of through. as we were playing, yeah. kind of going off into conversational tangents and things like right. that. But we we were talking yeah. about, a lot about tennis towards the end.
0: And one of the tangents was about Australia, where I think as of now it seems, I mean, Australia is the next Grand Slam. We would normally be leaving for Australia in about seven weeks, basically around right usually around usually around uh, December
1: yeah. 28, December 28 twenty nine is usually when we would be boarding planes, or Dece- or January first, depending on the depending on the, the calendar on the, when
0: the calendar is right. But as of now, we don't think we'll be going, which is weird to know that far out, I guess. And this is and it does kind of make it like a full year missing because Australia is the last big trip i went on i mean it's the last yeah, time i got on a plane yeah. was to go to australia and so it's uh, I, I like i said it was hours away from getting on the plane to indian wells before it got canceled but yeah it's it just doesn't seem like it's going to make sense australia is doing an incredibly great job at, at controlling the pandemic victoria has had a rougher time of it compared to the rest of australia but still incredibly well and they've gotten down Standing to a zero new cases today for them
1: uh love, love to here. be in a nation that panics over five oh my
0: gosh like you know is, new infections <laughs> aussies i i know are like beating themselves up over this They're like it's like there's a day that that victoria was p- reporting like seven new cases we're, like god seven new cases how terrible we're so embarrassing we're like letting ourselves down come on guys and like really like shaming each other and oh and then but then, like, i was like that is like seven in a day would be like a, it's a complete dream for any like state in the country, in in the, in the, in the United States state and talk about Victoria, but like they got it almost all under control. And so they're going to be less flexible on a lot of stuff in terms of quarantining, travel, rightfully so. And honestly, I I think even if we're more inflexible than they're already being, I think if they have like normal life back there, you know, do they even want all these, you know, tennis players from around the world and their entourages showing up on their shores and potentially infecting anybody. So they're having a, a, quarantine that would involve media would also be subject to that would basically involve you'd have to put yourself up at a specified hotel for 14 days. And for freelancer like me and other people too, I think even for you currently working for a tour, like that's a big expense to sink in in this. And when you really can't go anywhere or do anything during that time, adding on what what is already a pretty expensive flight to get down to Australia. And then, you know, once you got there, like would there be that big an advantage to being on site actually? And uh, we've, you know, the French open coverage and us open coverage worked okay you know not being there and i I didn't feel really like my colleagues who were at the u.s open especially and a little bit the french open as well got like better access really than i did from home which is depressing but it's what it was i think
1: it's a tricky one because because even if you're on site, how much access can you get? If and again, this depends on whatever the rules are that are in place. But you know, people journalists were allowed on site a select number in 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 um in New York, and obviously more at Roland Garros. But they couldn't go face to face to players. So what yeah. you know, like what can you really? end up doing and and that and that's a really really tough thing the other thing to always think about as well and this is something that definitely impacts the players especially the lower ranked players is like could you imagine as a freelancer putting down 2500 $2, bucks for your round trip flight to melbourne right and staying in the hotel or whatever but like landing there and testing positive mm. and then having to stay there now you're forced quarantine because now you you can't get on a flight to come home so that's again, you're talking about from a freelancer's pocket in January, the first month of the, of the calendar year, you know, five, six thousand dollars just out of pocket, for you know, and yeah, it's a it's a really tough financial, and like I I like like you said, like I work for a tour, I don't pay for my travel, the, to- the WTA pays for my travel, mm-hmm. and I would love nothing more than to get. Because especially when it comes to thinking about going to Melbourne or going to Australia, it's like, oh my gosh, going somewhere where I'm less likely to get infected. Because that's the thing is like right now, it's like, I really want to go to Europe and I want to see my friends. I really want to go to Asia and see family. I want to go to New York because I just want to go to New York for the US Open. And every single one of those instances, I would be going to somewhere that has like a higher infection rate than my than my general area like not necessarily my state but my area Mm -hmm. and whereas like with melbourne it would be like oh my gosh i'd be it's it'd actually be safer for a month (laughs) if i could relocate and even then like i was like i can't i can't justify this cost like i can't go to the tour and be like yes you should absolutely foot the bill for me to just sit in my hotel room and twitch stream to be quite honest (laughs) for two weeks that's what i would be doing if the hotel wi-fi was was strong enough for what gain? I don't know. Yep. You know, so it's 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 a tough one and it's a tricky one. And it's a constantly kind of shifting thing because we don't know. Right. I mean, I think that there was optimism that I think from people that Australia wouldn't be as strict effectively, that they would allow for separate city bubbles and that player that we would be able to we would be quarantined in a bubble, but you would could still like leave the hotel. You just couldn't like go into the community. Yeah. You have to stay in restricted zones. But who knows if that's even going to happen anymore? Yeah. Honestly. Right. I mean, this isn't just about sports. It's about an entire continent and their ability to control this virus and then just opening it up. And that's what we keep seeing all these surges. It's because the infection rates go down and then it's like, let's open restaurants and let's and then now we're in surge three.
0: Now, look Look what happened in in, in France, in Paris, yeah. right the French Open. And it was very foreseeable honestly. Yeah. And I don't know to what extent the French Open contributed to this surge. I doubt it was zero, honestly. But it's not even
1: just about the French Open. It's about right. just the yeah, collective. The st- yeah, yeah, completely. Let's just let's just take a breather um, and pretend for, you know, 10 days, two weeks that everything's and this, like, normal.
0: And it's like we've earned a reward kind of thinking. You
1: know, like, you haven't. No, I mean, like, you're still
0: in it. You don't get to decide, like, we beat it. It's over. Like, not really. No, it's not really no. how it works. Especially, again, I think ten- tennis is such a pandemic nightmare of a sport with the, everyone coming from all over and different mixing and, and everywhere it goes again not like the actual on-court activity pretty much at all like the actual i don't think any transmission right. happening yeah. on a match court but just the travel aspect the international aspect the entourage just that that kind of mixing is where professional tennis i think is really rough for a pandemic so that's that we'll we'll see when we next get on the road i mean i imagine i mean Courtney you could like drive to new wells i don't know what new wells is gonna be doing but that's like probably maybe the next plausible tournament for you
1: yeah. Well, no, I mean, Middle East, possibly. Okay. I mean, depending on, depending on, you know, um, where, we're all at. where everything's at, especially. And it's, it's hard because it's really about where we are at, like where America is at. Like, yeah. it's not that, you know, so I'm hopeful that, that, that Dubai would be in the cards in February of next year to travel to. But otherwise, yeah, I would, I would basically, well, find a ride. Down to Indian Wells. <laughs>
0: How about you get your license?
1: It's not that. it. I tried, Ben. But the thing is, the DMV's, like, closed. Like, I have to go and actually take the test.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, I can't
1: just, like, sign documents to mm-hmm. renew the way that when you have, like, a valid license to renew that you can. Mm-hmm. So, like, but they won't do the, t- you can't do the test right now.
0: There's no tests happening?
1: There's no testing. Mm-hmm. People who have, like, like, my mom needs to renew her license. And she's it was, like, expired in August or something um and they were just like yeah we'll just extend it until september like and they just keep extending it and at some point i'm kind of like i mean you're like she's 70 years old like you should be retested to be quite honest (laughs) like you know but no there's no you can't have two people in the car okay testing so interesting i've i've filled out as much paperwork as i possibly can to get it to that point wow and then i just have to wait that's growth that's growth Hey, because there were know, many I, years of not trying at all. It was, <laughs> you know, the pandemic. I got bored. I just, ha- I just needed something to do, and I was like, fine.
0: There are so many times when I've thought of like going <laughs> on your local DMV website and making you appointments and sending you like, hey, <laughs> this Thursday at four PM, you're going. I've, I've, you know I've me, I wouldn't
1: go. You know, I, I know wouldn't you wouldn't go. <laughs> go.
0: You might though. You might be like, oh, fine. I don't know. I'm not sure how. It would if work. I
1: if I responded to being shamed like that was a motivating factor of me doing things, my life would look very different. But mm, no, that's true. I will. I will watch the wire when I watch the wire, as I say, oh, yeah. I haven't seen it either. I haven't seen it. And everybody wow. keeps pressuring me. And I'm like, I will watch the wire when I watch the wire. You trying to tell me to watch the wire will absolutely repel me from the wire. People just got to just pump the brakes, man. Lower the temperature. There you go. Take a step back. We're all Americans. <laughs> I guess.
0: <laughs> uh, other, other things. Let's see. to talk about. We'll, we'll talk about this in a second. We'll get there. I promise. Um, uh, there's news today. We're recording this on Wednesday, 11-11, That Venus Williams is now a new brand ambassador for K Swiss, which is yeah. nice. And she, pairing with eleven, it's good to see you're getting some corporate support because I'm not sure, honestly, how much money she's ever making out of eleven. And I like seeing Venus get paid, so that's that's positive. As someone who's a you know a, a great ambassador and elder stateswoman for the tour now.
1: I would also think that it's quite a, a positive development in terms of, you know, you know at the Roland Garros when she lost to Schmidlova. No, not Schmidlova. Schmidlova?
0: Schmidlova. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cause Schmidlova yeah. And then Shmiedlova. beat Azarenka.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, when she lost and there was a bit of a panic of kind of like, is this is Venus just gonna like walk off the court and never like pick up a racket ever again and you know, all that sort of stuff. So I would I would have to think that signing an endorsement deal with K Swiss would settle some of the concerns. I would hope that that you know she will continue to play and and play on her terms and as you said get paid. I'm always a big supporter of my girls getting paid. My ladies, my girls. I mean, I can't call Venus that. <laughs> That's <laughs> awkward. <laughs>
0: okay, someone you probably age wise can call a girl Iga Shvantec. Uh, you were telling me before we started recording about another sort of apparel-related story about her that you that you heard. Can you, yeah, can you that you I this well, this I read know. it. This is interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know who, and I feel bad, um, but I don't know who did the translation of it. But P- uh, Peter Chereshpetovski, who is, um, and that's how you say his last name. People keep saying like it's so difficult to pronounce. It's actually not. Peter Chereshpetovski is uh, a text coach, and he gave an interview in Polish that somebody on I saw on Twitter um, translated, um, and he was saying that. Because Iga last year was with Nike, obviously she's with Asics this year, and at least according to him, he said that when Nike came back to, well, when they were negotiating the deal at the end of last year, that Nike offered more money than any other deal that she was getting offered from any other clothing sponsor. And Iga just said, "Yeah, that, that's cool. Just you know, what I'd like though is is um, for you to kit out my team, so obviously provide gear for coach, physio, trainer, whoever's in mm-hmm. her box." And Nike said no, and that uh, p- the way that Peter described it, he said that was something that meant ve- a lot to her, and so she walked and she signed with Asics, and she's very very happy with Asics because they treat her incredibly well, and and it was and it's an interesting thing to think about, right? Because if if Iga stays with Nike, Nike has Naomi, Bianca, and Iga. They also, in addition to that, have Bencic. they have Sabalenka, they have all of these younger, you know, players, and they still have Simona and Petra right? And Serena. And Serena, obviously. Uh, and then... And Vika, yeah. And then Fila would have had Ash, Pliskova, uh, Beritens, and Kennen, which is why... I mean, Fila is, like, that's for the they top ten. They got a 10. strong roster, yeah. Fila quietly snuck up on everybody and, like, became the new Asics. I mean, Asics is nowhere to be found in the top... Or not Asics, um, Adidas. Yeah. Is nowhere to be found in the top ten, which is wild. Hmm. Like... Yeah, it's it's a wild thing. Anyways, so it's just kind of interesting to think, but at the same time, like if and some players will say this, obviously they get more money and more exposure probably if you're with Nike than with Asics. But to be tr- to have a brand that treats you well, that kind of treats you like you are a crown jewel as opposed to one of many. I mean, that's a large army of Nike of Nike is quite good. But anyways, I think if I understand it. And I don't again, I don't speak Polish, but I think Iga bought her coach a motorcycle. It was like on her Insta stories and I think his as well, where she like invited him to like the motorcycle store and like pulled out the keys from her pocket and like handed them over. Oh cool. And he was like really excited. So yeah, I mean she she takes care of her peeps. That's that's for sure. But um but yeah, it's it's interesting. And then you have Naomi putting out she's got a logo now which yeah. I'm pretty sure we saw at times on various parts of her kit. I've seen it before, like on okay. court, like on a, maybe her hit pack had it that hmm. she wore out on court or something. But yeah, so she has her own Nike logo now, which is like an N.O., a stylized N.O. It has like a casual Nike collab coming out with, and all of the the the, the marketing photos that I've seen are like her and Mari, which is, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's great. It's I, cool to getting I, Mari involved. She's getting, she's in with the masks, like she was selling the masks that had Mari's artwork. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Like how she's like, yeah, that it's a, it's, it's a collaborative team effort that she's able to negotiate that into her, into her deals that, that she has the, the, again, the leverage to be able to, to get her sister in these campaigns is, is pretty great and thoughtful and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the stuff looks pretty cool. I mean, it's, I don't know if you've seen any of it, but it's like, Mm -hmm. I've seen the the photos with her and Mari. Yeah. Yeah. But like with Bright like down stuff. the sleeve, it says like I think it says like Japan, Haiti, and United States. It's like all three, like homaged throughout the the different stuff. And she has the the Nike blazer Comme des de Garçons uh, collab as well, uh, which is really cool. But yeah, these girls they're they're getting the bucks. I lo- you love to see it,
0: and they're bringing people with them on the way too. It's, exactly, it's, it's what that's you a see. Good, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly right, which is great to see. So yeah, good kids. That's, oh and bianca's the... hitting again sorry oh yes yes that's the that, other no, thing. that's right yeah that was that the was other. Lovely. bianca was just, hitting
0: from front, excited. Of some, in front of some castle or something yeah, that was a right? crazy
1: court like that <laughs> very was dra-
0: very dramatic castle that she found a little royal raceway mario like, oh, there's end. a castle next door yeah sure why not
1: yeah no it was cool no it was just nice to see her hitting on a court and moving on a court and saying she's ready for for the australian open like i mean if we can get yeah it would be like, I guess since the U.S. Open that we would have, like, of last year, that we would have had, like, a full slate at a slam, right? Because Bianca skipped AO as well of mm. um, this year. So, yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty cool to get everybody back in the mix.
0: So one other segment we were pl- thinking of doing on this show to keep it upbeat before we get to the okay, keep foreshadowing. Is we'll get there <laughs> eventually, I promise. And we did, did the whole last show on Sarah. I'm sure people are aware of me and John Wartime. Uh, we're going to throw it way back to early NCR days. Um, <laughs> and do you take a number? For the first Yay! time in well, it feels like years, must be years. Yeah. Take a number if you have not use. heard it. Um, this is, again, just like fill for this sort of quiet time, which I'm fine with. This is good fill, I feel like. We're going to take, go to random.org, pick a number between one and 100, and talk about the player who corresponds to that ranking on the ATP WTA rankings. So, Courtney, why don't you pull up WTA rankings? I'll pull up ATP.
1: Okay. Ready, Wendy? Okay. You, okay. Want. you
0: ready? All right. Here we yeah. go. Our number for take number is 61. Okay. So that's 61. like not a gimme, but like not the hardest Ooh. either
1: okay tricky You're oh okay tricky. Mine's, pretty, mine's pretty good Mine's pretty good okay
0: you want to go first courtney
1: sure the wta player currently ranked at number 61
0: so you can give a hint and i'll try to i'll try to guess it, so i can guess who it is if it's, an american if it's one of american. the 18
1: americans in the top 100
0: okay 61 american um is it shelby no oh shelby top 50
1: uh, she should be after quarters. Oh, maybe not. No, she's outside top fifty. Shelby's at fifty-eight.
0: Okay, so close guess. I'm happy with that guess. Only three off <laughs> there. Okay. Um. Okay. More more hints. Anything? The
1: uh, teasers? twenty-five years old. Okay. Ranked, interestingly ahead of Jesse Pagula, which oh, surprises not Jesse me. Pagula. Okay. That surprises me.
0: Okay. Not coming up with anybody else here. Lefty. Oh, okay. I should be able to get this. Wait, who's a, who's yeah. a lefty American? <laughs> I haven't watched tennis in a long time. What's going on? Um, a lefty American ranked 6125. I genuinely can't think of any American female lefties.
1: I told you this one was tricky. I. You I want one, you, you, yeah, one more hint. One more hint. One more hint. What, what oh, state is she um, from? Well, hold on. Was okay. not born in America.
0: Oh, is Lepchenko ranked? No, Lepchenko's older than that. That's not, Lepchenko is a lefty, though. She is. I and mean, she's older than that, and she's not ranked that high. Okay, not born in America. This should be very gettable. Should be. Why do I not have this yet? It's not like Angie Kerber. There's any of this, but she's a lefty. Okay, who, yeah. Oh, is it, um, Para? Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Okay. Bernardo Okay. Out there in the end. Bernardo okay. that's, that's not that easy. Okay. That's I didn't, not that I didn't, easy. I didn't, I didn't realize she was that high either.
1: I didn't either. That's why I was like, oh. <laughs>
0: okay. So mine's, mine's somebody who may be surprising if they're this low. Oh, All right. So okay. my person is European. Is currently tied with somebody else at 105 ranking points. 1,005 ranking points, rather, who is uh, also from their country and also... 35 years old and they've previously been ranked let's see what's what's his actual career high yeah been previously ranked as high as number five in the world Woo. can't be
1: see these guesses are going to be so bad because they will they will they will show how little i go know ahead. about the current atp <laughs> go ahead uh
0: Chilich? uh no not the worst guess Chilich is like Ranked like 40th now, I think 41st, and he's 32. Okay, older than Chelsea. Oh, right,
1: right, right, right. 35.
0: Wiley, this player is part of a stretch of five players ranked between, um, 60 and 64, who are 34, 35, 35, 39, and 36 years old. ATP is geriatric. Verdasco. Uh, he's number 64. Not a bad guess. And his countryman, Feliciano Lopez, is also is 63. so it's another I was going
1: to say, yeah. <laughs> Lopez? Yeah,
0: not Lopez. Lopez Those is 39.
1: Because I'm thinking older.
0: He's Simone? Uh, that's very close. Simone is 62. So which <laughs> other French 35-year-old is at, 60, is at 61? Sanga? Yes. Wilfried, <laughs> songa. Good work.
1: I'm here for it. Wow, I didn't realize that Sanga was only five. For some reason, I thought he was like, at some point three or four but i don't know why
0: yeah i never broke into that it was a pretty that big four man they were pretty rock solid for a while there
1: they were they were they were they were
0: uh so let's talk about Bernardo Para.
1: okay sure yeah
0: bernard Para. i remember coming on pretty kind of out of nowhere uh in australia two years ago 2019 right Yep. Yeah. where she made third round or fourth round third round fourth round third round third round and she beat Conta in the first round i want to say
1: that right. sounds about right, because it would have been a win that kind of like put her on the map or maybe in a second way round. that, and, and you know, beating beating Kanta kind of puts you on the map because the Brits get exci- get invested and stuff like that. I think that was, that would have been 2018, so that's the year after. What did Kanta do in 2017? Wasn't that Kanta's big year? No.
0: Oh, you're right. This was 2018. Yeah, so Kanta made semis year before.
1: Yeah, that's why. Because it was like knocking out. It mu- I was like, it must have been something like that where Kanta had made, had run deep the year before.
0: Yep. And Para was a lucky loser. Mm-hmm. Para beat Blinkova in the first round, Kanta in the second round, then lost in straights to third round.
1: And it was, it was weird because it was one of those moments of like sh- this American, young American, had just pulled off this massive win. And like no one really knew anything about her.
0: No, I remember like because we in, in we the tried new Australia set up. Yep. we sit or at least I sit on the same aisle as the Brits. They put the Brits and the Americans together, thinking that we like each other and joking. We it's fine. Um, and they they
1: put me in the corner where no one can talk to me. So I really do feel like <laughs> there is some editorializing that tennis is, Australia does. I remember being like, "What do you mean, apparel?"
0: Like, and usually like we're able to like say things. And I was like, "I did not know anything about her." Yeah. like I genuinely did not even know that she was Croatian. Yeah, uh, no, I thought I that know. she
1: was, like, she was, like, her parents hailed from South America somewhere. Yeah, Bernarda
0: sounded Hispanic. I I remember thinking she was, Bernarda she was Hispanic. Bernarda Paris sounded yeah.
1: Hispanic. I just, that's what yeah. I thought. So, uh, and then that wasn't it. And then I remember that interview, though, because everyone, because she's quite soft-spoken. She's not, she's, she's very internal. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, like, obviously, again, she had just beaten Conta and... So all the Brits were in that press conference, if I remember. The Brit pack were in there, as well as the Americans were obviously in there. And then obviously it was a really big tournament win. So there was like other kind of local media there. And she wasn't giving much away. Like you would ask her, can you, you know, we don't really know you. So can you kind of tell, how'd you pick up a racket? Your parents are from Croatia. How did that happen? Da, 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 da. And I remember walking out of there, not still not with a very clear picture Um, And then I had like a one-on-one with her afterwards for about 10, 15 minutes. And she was much better in that, that environment. Just a one-on-one, far more conversational, but in that, and you can understand, this is a player, she's a lucky loser, ranked well outside the top 100 and never been ranked inside the top 100, I believe, when all that happened. And they now, they are not used to actually the invasive questioning of, of the media, so right and like for holding sure.
0: court the way you're kind of supposed to yeah,
1: you know and so it was it was yeah and and so every I every once in a while she has these kind of either she tallies a great win but then isn't able to follow it up or she puts in a great performance I mean she had she had Serena on the ropes in Lexington this year
0: mm-hmm. I was gonna mention that yeah. in the
1: first round and and there's definitely been times because that lefty game of hers is still really really tricky but she just hasn't been able to string get momentum going but i've always because of like there are these little moments where she comes up big and pulls off a big upset i always notice her name in draws and I'm like, well para could you know because she's really good yeah. she really is just hasn't been able to get the momentum
0: hits the ball really hard kind of a player who like it's streaky i think it's probably fair to say can run yes. kind of hot and cold but when she's hot like she was against serena in lexington like it was like serena wasn't even playing that bad it was serena's first match out of the pandemic and para Really did take it to her, so I'm a little surprised she's at 61. I would have thought she would probably, if I had to guess, and this is a stupid comment, but I would have felt she was more like 80ish, and ranking it's in the rankings than 61. I can see that, but but six, you know, but she clearly has has results and uh, is somebody who's yeah younger than I would have maybe thought too, because she would played for Croatia for a bunch of years before coming over to the U.S. Maybe I thought she had more years under her belt than she does, but only only 25. Um, she's kind of player, and again, I, th- I feel like first of all, her coach is listed on Wikipedia as being Guillermo
1: Canyas. I I'm mean, possible. I don't know if that's yeah. current, but I mean, Kanye did. I mean, he coached JJ. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, she doesn't have a coach listed on her on her WTA profile, so okay.
0: I, I think she just kind of reflects to me kind of like the depth of the field in a way. Like when you see Para around, like she just comes off far more, I think, professional maybe a way to say it than like your average like fifty-one through one hundred player would have been ten years ago. Right. Like mm, she's like she's kinda saying. like she has like a team. She's like traveling with people. She's like very driven, dedicated, or whatever. I think when people talk about the tour getting tougher and like first rounds getting sharper than they were, I think Para is one of those people who as a member of the sort of chorus of the tour adds some, some more intensity and credibility to it than it maybe had. Yeah. Yeah. In, and in and she tends to eras.
1: Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good yeah, a really good way of kind of describing it. Just kind of an exemplar of yes, you can have it all lined up and yeah, these aren't she's not an easy out necessarily she can hit herself off the court but when she's on i think she's she's that type of player to me which is one of those where I'm like kind of like a georgie but obviously not as as doesn't have the track record or resume like camilla does right but somebody who you're just like well I mean she could beat anybody on any given day so like that's not an easy draw like I always yeah. think that whenever somebody draws her in the first round
0: Kanta is still her only top 10 win for Huh? What it's worth. Kanta is still her only top 10 win
1: yeah i think that that's right but um yeah she's' she, She's an interesting one, but she always like kind of slips through the cracks because I don't know if this is the same on the ATB tour, if this is how people cover or think of it or conceptualize the players. But at least on the WTA for me, it's a little bit of kind of relational. And I think that sometimes she slips through the cracks for me because she doesn't really like run with any crew on tour. Um, She doesn't really run with the Americans. I don't think that she was really part of the USTA system and... All that sort of stuff, and then she's not; she doesn't run with the Croatian crew either. Yeah. Um. To the extent that there is a Croatian crew, yeah. So it's it's just easy for me to kind of forget. (laughs) She doesn't play that much doubles, I don't think. So it's it's a very specific scheduling and and type of career that she's building. But uh, but still very but still quite young, twenty five.
0: I mean, her career high ranking is fifty nine. So this is right around the highest she's been Mm -hmm. previously. So.
1: And like that's a that's a good that's a good career that she's built to yeah. you know for somebody who...
0: 1.5 million career prize money
1: that's pretty good that's quietly that's quietly raking it in it's
0: she's like bad. i'm saying she's one of those people who like you know billy jean would look at that and be like that's pretty great that a player's never been top 50 and only 25 can earn that kind of money and i and, yeah. and like i said you know hiring coaches like Kanye's or whatever else she's doing she, i don't think she's content with that i think she's still working you get the sense that she's driven too like she's an, she's, yes. an, she's an intense competitor
1: she's an intense competitor it can get the better of her sometimes like if you know how like that whole thing of like you want it too much right. and then and she's a little bit nervy like I've, I've seen her not be able to close things out sometimes mm-hmm. but again that has the more um you know exposure that you get the more reps that you get kind of playing on bigger courts against higher ranked players you're you're gonna start to get more and more comfortable i think a player that stands out to me about that is like like Sakary and like Svientek is actually a really good example Um, Not to make things all about Ego all the time, but like, I mean, she basically like last year when she played Caroline and um, Naomi back to back in Toronto, she was like honest, like she I remember her saying something. She was like, you know, I don't I don't get to play on big courts like nobody ever puts me on a big court. So like that was like the biggest court back to back that she'd played and playing top 10 players at the time and being able to perform the way that she did was an incredible like, boost in confidence, like, that's when she was like, I believe that, like, I leveled up. And so she probably learns a little bit faster than a lot of people because I I don't see how one match can flip that for somebody. But Naomi kind of had that sort of similar type of confidence kick in during certain moments. But, yeah, sometimes for for these lower-ranked players, it's not that their tennis is off. They just need more reps to kind of believe that they belong. And I I do think that, like, sometimes – I don't know. I feel like with Para – she is ambitious, but I also feel like sometimes the, the self doubt creeps in a little bit too quickly in matches. Sure. So she hasn't done so, it
0: that much. I mean, you know, she yeah. still only has the one top 10 win, hasn't been top 50. Like there's still stuff for her, I feel like, to prove to herself, probably.
1: Yeah, probably. So. yeah.
0: Yep. On to Sangha. Joe,
1: Joe Winning.
0: What are your earliest memories of Joe Wilford's Sangha? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, Australian Open 100%. That run. My-
0: Mine was actually the year before that Australian Open. I remember okay, he played. Okay, explain. I know, and I know, that's just obnoxious. <laughs> but like, I remember he played Andy Roddick first round, and the I'm pretty sure. Let me double check this. I think it was, let me look at the 07 Australian Open. I think he played Andy Roddick. Yeah, he played Andy Roddick. as a wild card, the reciprocal wild card, into the French Open, and 60 to Andy Roddick. who went on to make the semis of that tournament, I believe. Uh, is that right? Yeah, getting killed by Federer in the semis, as per. Made it, won the first set tiebreak. 2018 over roddick and then oh um, that and will the match be got the mark and that yeah. match got like testy i remember and it was like kind of like feisty and joe was like kind of chubby i want to say at the time and I, andy was just like what is any of this he wasn't he wasn't enjoying <laughs> it and it was fun and and yeah then the next year he gets another tough first round draw in australia he draws andy murray first round mm-hmm. uh the 08 australian and then beats him and goes on a run yeah beats nadal Makes the final, takes the first set off Djokovic in that final, which was just like really like cool final where between um, two guys who hadn't won their first major yet in Djokovic and Sangha. Uh, I don't think we had that again until this 2020 U.S. Open between oh, Tim and yeah. Zverev. So in men's tennis, obviously women get it all the time. But in men's tennis, it's a rare treat. And yeah, he had a he had a great run. He beat, where is the draw here? Yeah, Murray. Sam Warburg, I can't I remember him. He's American. Uh, Garcia Lopez Gasquet in four sets. He was number eight, so it's a big upset. Also, and then usually uh, then Nadal. And Nadal he beat in the semis two three and two. Yeah, I remember that. He destroyed Nadal.
1: Yeah, that was the thing, and and yeah, it was it was, was one of those electric. Yeah, it was one of those electric runs where, for those of us who aren't Ben. Um, you know, and we're kind of laying eyes on this guy for the first time and just seeing like his... I didn't know him beyond pissing off Andy Roddick. Honestly, Wait. I really didn't. I have this cassette B-side of an early Arcade Fire demo. Yeah, it, it was it was great. And it just obviously the way that, that Joe plays, especially when he's free and he's unencumbered and he's healthy, um, all that sort of stuff. And just watching him just absolutely blast through Rafa with his all out aggressive, you know, just kind of flood the court kind of game. It was so it was so fun and obviously, you know, all the stuff with his dad and his dad being in the stands like punching, like oh, Muhammad, the Muhammad Ali. Ali stuff, yeah. Yeah, the Muhammad Ali stuff. Um it was great and it was, you know, he he handled it incredibly well. Um yeah, that was that was that was definitely the first time and I've always liked Joe. I've always liked Joe, even through his weird hormone comments and you know. <laughs> my question nonsense here and there I just love the way that the guy plays I think he's a nice enough dude you know in the grand scheme of things and in, in the eco environment and stuff and I like watching him play I like watching him try to do some of the, like the stuff that he tries to do um uh, yeah
0: his backhand super interesting he hits either like he can hit both two and one-handed backhands. <laughs>
1: I love a- when he hits the one-handed backhand I'm like why what are, you, what are you doing, man?
0: I mean, honestly, though, I've totally respect it. Because if I'd hit a tennis ball that many times, I would get bored, too. I'd try new things.
1: <laughs> I'm
0: going to hit, like, a billion backhands in my life and have them all be the same. I'm like, no, I'm going to make half them spicy.
1: I feel like he only hits the one-hander when he tries to just take it down the line. Like, he just tries uh, to redirect that, it yeah. down the line. I don't know if I've ever seen that's him, like, right. swing full cross court, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's a thing. We haven't been able to. No. Um, Yeah, and he's a daddy now, and... Um, Did you ever did you watch that um, that Montfils roundtable with the the musketeers?
0: No, my French is not good enough to probably handle that. Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: But it seemed interesting, like seeing the the translated stuff about how like they felt like they weren't as looked after by the previous generation. And, you know, this this generation kind of left to kind of fend for themselves and how they don't want to do that for. You Know this generation of Gaston and Moutet and like all these guys coming up, um, which is quite good. It was good to yeah. hear.
0: No, it's interesting having them I mean, all, none of them have retired yet, but this generation mm-hmm. of your Simon Gasquet, Sanga, um, wait, there's one I'm missing, Simon Fils. pair Like, and Pear's a little younger, but yeah, is kind of in there too. Like, Pear was in
1: there saying, like, these guys took out, like, if yeah. not for these guys like taking me under my under their wing like i would not be as you know as successful as he has been right which i believe yeah i believe
0: yeah it seems like a relatively good culture they have there in terms of just like yeah their vibes they're good
1: guys yeah there's a good vibe that kind of floats around that crew of frenchies even if they are still benoit pair and it's still exasperating in their own way yeah no it's it's yeah. exhausting on every on on so many different levels, um, especially Benoit. Uh, but uh, but yeah, but uh, but good vibes.
0: I would read the books on like you know whatever Lakeith reporter writes, like a sort of like that like the new Musketeers like tell all like book with those four guys mm-hmm. like on the cover and like what they what they and if, yeah if you want to add Benoit in there as a spicy
1: fifth uh, honorary. But they person. were like talking about like their dating life. I mean, apparently, like they were just like all ribbing each other about their like their dating lives and like they were all like talking about how like Gasquet just like is a ladies man and he wasn't exactly denying it which we all know uh mm-hmm. and stuff and yeah no it was it was very it was very very amusing from what i could tell from like the translated portions that i saw
0: last thought on sangha i mean he'll be his career will be talked about as you know obviously made that great run and then never made another major final do you do you think is, is that is he does he go down as an underachiever quote unquote or is that unfair? It's an era. Or how do you, how do you I, define
1: it? There's no such thing as an underachiever in the era of the Big Four. If you're going to measure things by slam wins right. and masters titles and things like that, I mean, the guy he was. He's a couple of
0: masters titles. He does have a couple. Yeah. I
1: know, but like, but, yeah. you know, he's not going to have a ton when, right. you know, he probably in any other era would have. And, you know, in a lot of ways, he was the flag bearer of that group of Musketeers. Right. I mean, he was the guy that was probably I I mean, I, I haven't crunched the numbers, but at least this was during at least this was during my heyday of of covering the ATP. But he was he was usually the probably the most stable ranking wise and results wise. Mm-hmm. I think everybody else kind of like fluctuated up and down a little bit. But um, but Joe was always in the mix and he was always dangerous. And yeah, so I no, I wouldn't I wouldn't I, I just don't think that you can really call anybody an underachiever in that in that era. Um, That's fair. If you measure it on that on that, if you measure it on like ranking, you know, like somebody, you know, never cracked the top 20, but probably should have. Yes, we can have that discussion. But if we're using slam titles and and big titles,
0: he he gave himself chances. He made after that final in Australia, he made made Wimbledon semi. He made he made five more slam semis after that. Yeah. and he made like like another nine or so like quarterfinals i'm guessing if i look through them almost all those losses are two and he had that epic was that
1: was that him and burdick at wimbledon there was like an epic five setter i remember watching it on the hill and like everybody was captivated and i feel like that was sangha
0: was this after he beat this maybe it was 2010 yeah that probably wouldn't be at wimbledon right 2010 was your wimbledon
1: uh 2010 i thought i went in 2011. Oh, well there was Sangha Federal quarterfinals at Wimbledon twenty eleven. Yes. So that's the
0: one that he came
1: back from two sets down, I think. I think maybe that was what we were watching on the hill. Must have been that. Yeah. That was wild. But yeah, he's had he's had these moments of just like these epic, epic matches that absolutely leave you riveted. Nineteen seventeen in the fifth against Isner, third round two thousand sixteen Wimbledon. Um I don't remember that but that's probably not joe's fault um
0: <laughs> yeah i i so. do remember that one actually yeah
1: um
0: yeah good yeah joe for sangha I, I see i see i'm looking at googling the burditch thing i saw there's a 2016 headline that says it calls him a member of the little four with ferrer sangha oh. burditch and all feast which is like says sounds mean but it's like i mean there was Wait. that
1: second tier of guys I would absolutely not put Malphie's in that group I agree. of Monfils the, is of the little caliber. four. That was no. that would have been for for sure Ferrer, for sure Burdick Sanga, yeah, for sure Sanga. and like Adelpo. If Delpo was was not injured, or who else was constantly at the finals, but like
0: maybe even Gasquet ahead of ahead of Monfils.
1: maybe, but yeah, yeah, yeah that was number 61 61 number. baby right. bernarda para and joe wilfrid sanga two very different careers yes very so different far. players yeah. according to we
0: talked about on the show last week i feel remiss not asking you about zverev um, <laughs> and if there's anything obviously we t- i talked about it a bunch on the show last week with john wertheim dominated tennis discussion for the last uh yeah 10 days or so since it came out really ATP still has not done anything formally to address any of this, except for very obviously ignoring him on their social media channels, on Tennis TV and on the ATP account. Uh, He's about to go into the World Tour Finals, where he'll be one of the eight players there, so playing at least three round-robin matches, assuming he completes his run and maybe more. Uh, He's playing pretty well these days. He's made a Paris final. He beat Nadal en route to that Paris final. He won a couple back-to-back titles in the Cologne bubble and the US Open final. So not irrelevant, but still sort of, Formally invisible, according to the ATP. What what do you, what do you make of any of this? Where, wherever you want to start on the whole Sverev saga. Which is um, obviously, maybe it's wrong to center him so much and not talk about Olya. Yeah, in that, that was, in that that setup, was but,
1: kind of where I was going to go. I mean, yeah. I think that, you know, reading through Olya's own words of what she says happened to her. I mean, first and foremost, for me, like, you know, believe women believe when they say that you know, they've been in, in, in abusive situations where they've been victims of domestic violence, domestic abuse, start there, as opposed to this whole innocent until proven guilty, that sort of stuff. It That's really exhausting to me. I think that it's really, you, I don't know. I mean, I think any neutral party, like maybe people may have seen, you know, the Instagram posts or things like that and thought, oh, what's his side of things? And I don't know, or skeptical, but I just really feel, I mean, reading her account, obviously your written account posted on Racket, uh, having interviewed her and her account of what happened in the level of detail with which she speaks about what happens, the screenshots, um, and also as well, you know, what the people in her orbit, what their experience was as well with with um, Mrs. V, what's his name? Vassel. Not Vassal. Vassal. And Vossel both not believing her, both pushing her to go back, um, both being vested in them as a couple, not, you know, and then kind of now feeling so betrayed by themselves, like, you know, and I feel like there are so many of us who've been not in that specific type of situation, but don't have to double down. You don't have to triple down. You can be proven wrong. You can, yeah. you know. And I feel like that's a really a a really important aspect of that story as well. Um, for them, what they said in terms of like realizing how wrong it was for them to to push her back to go back and um, seeing the error of their ways and all that sort of stuff. So I think it, it's just it's a very courageous account. It's a very harrowing account. You know, for her to go out and and to to go public and to say and to go into that level of detail and to say what she wants to say while at the same time being adamant she's not out there for money. She's not out there for payoff. She's not out because honestly, if that's what she was looking for, guys, the cynics, this is not how you do it. No. Like you don't tell the story first and then ask for a payout. You you take the payout, for, like you threaten the story and then you take the payout. You get like, your silent spot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like once you go big, you've lost your, you know, you've lost your leverage. But so, yeah, so I guess, so that's part of it is like, first and foremost, it's about her. It's about her using her voice and being given a platform. And I'm heartened that she has gotten as much um, support as she is from fans, from the community, from, you know, I think that tweet from Daria Gavrilova means something. I think it means a lot, you know, a few other players as well. But so that's, that's very good when it comes to the overall silence of the sport. I think it's, it's hard to ignore. I, I don't know. I, my stance has not necessarily on this specific issue, but generally we've seen a pattern um, within tennis that when real world issues touch this community, yeah, this community doesn't know how to react. I think that we saw that we see we're seeing that here with olia uh we've seen that in the past with i don't know like playing tennis you know traveling a tour and 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 becoming a super spreader event like mm-hmm. and actually when lives are actually impacted in a very real way not just in a you know tennis sportsy kind of way you know back to to justin gimelstad and the allegations and the lawsuit that he was involved in I don't think that the sport is, is, is really conditioned to deal with it. And I guess that's on some level a privilege of the sport insofar as, as opposed to maybe when we look at other big, big sports publicly, domestic violence, other types of violence, things like that have not really been a narrative within tennis. Not to yeah. say it didn't happen.
0: Definitely not a narrative. Yeah.
1: But it's not a, it's not an open narrative, right? So people don't know how to deal with it. And then I was joking with you, I think, um, I don't know if this was on our Twitch or if it was after we turned it off, but like, this is a sport that has a conniption fit and calls Nick Kyrgios an evil like person and, and goes in on his character because he curses on court. Because he threw a water bottle at an umpire's chair. Right? Because he sledges somebody. Because he uses words wrong. Yeah. Not to say that he shouldn't be criticized or whatever, but... He is painted as a bad person, like character flaws. Yeah. That's how he is discussed in this sport. And we can go back and we talk about like the Mack and Rose and, you know, uh, Connors and all this sort of stuff. So if you're already talking about what is effectively, especially in the grand scheme of the professional sporting world, like kind of shruggable standard behavior of a professional athlete. That shouldn't be something that you ring, that you clutch your pearls over. Then how can you, if you're already using that language to discuss that, how can you even have the language or yeah the fortitude to discuss actual real problems like domestic violence?
0: Tennis is completely is completely not calibrated to no. to deal with this. And I remember seeing this was in, and maybe Australia, maybe media in Australia particularly or tennis media as well. I remember seeing a countdown. I think I mentioned this after our Slack too. Or after our Twitch, whatever, where there was, like, like a top 10, like, most, like, <laughs> yeah. notorious athletes list somewhere. I want to say it was... I think it was an Australian paper. And it was, like, number... It was, like, Nick Kyrus was number two, right? Number one was Oscar Pistorius, <laughs> I believe. And number three was Aaron Hernandez. Both literal murderers. Literal. And Kyrus, like, it's between them. <laughs> like,
1: what? What are we like, talking about here, what? So you know? You,
0: you completely have to reset things. I think it's, it's, it's weird. I... Um, I'm curious, actually, if I can get you to expand on one thing, Courtney, this whole, this thing that's been said by a lot of non-lawyers in response to this, this innocent until proven guilty (laughs) thing. What does that phrase mean? Where does it apply? And how does it inform or not inform this current case?
1: Um, I mean, innocent until proven guilty is a criminal law standard. Yeah, it's not even a civil law. Standard. It's jury
0: instructions.
1: It's much. jury instructions to the jury that the burden of proof. It has to do with burden of proof, right? So right. when you have a criminal trial, you have the prosecution, which represents the the government, that's going after the defendant, who is the person who has been arrested for a crime and is now on trial for that crime, with the punishment to be going to jail. Right. Mm-hmm. So that is that's the those are the stakes. The burden, when you have a jury trial, is on the prosecution to prove guilt. That's when we say there's a presumption of innocence. Not that we presume the person's innocent. It's a burden of proof issue. It's about, like, that the defense, it's not for the defense to prove they're innocent. It's for the prosecution to prove that they are guilty. And then, once they have met that burden, then for the defense to then present a defense. That's why in... Criminal cases, a lot of times you will not see, you know, the defendant take the stand. That that's a whole Fifth Amendment issue. But but you won't have. Sometimes in criminal cases, the defense rests. Yeah. The prosecution goes first. They present their case. The defense sees it and says, "You haven't met your burden. I don't have to say a damn thing, because you have not proven that my client did what you say he did. He did that. You did. That's a criminal law standard. It's high for a reason, because you're talking about." Throwing somebody into prison, taking away their freedom, incarcerating them. That's not a thing on Twitter. (laughs) That is not a thing in real life. That is not even a thing in civil court. Again, that's a criminal court burden, presumption of innocence. In civil court, it's often a preponderance of the evidence. It's not that they're presumed innocent, but whoever wins, wins because they they presented the preponderance of the evidence that they have proven their case. Which is a lower standard than, you know, reasonable doubt. Right. Which is what is a criminal standard. It's all, so it's, it's the same thing as like when people are yell free speech. Like somebody says something and then somebody tells them they can't say it. And then they're like, oh, I have a First Amendment right. No, you don't. This is That's not the government. Means. It's yeah. just Twitter. The First Amendment has to do with the government censoring speech. Twitter blocking you or or, or like suspending you has nothing to do with the First Amendment. Zero, because Twitter is not a government entity. But people throw these things around, and then they 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 think they, they they're so like smug about it. Like I have watched five episodes of Law and Order. Let me tell you, innocent until proven guilty. It's like what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> like...
0: No, and, and and this idea also that like like I read the story and wow, it's really tough. But innocent until proven guilty. Like again, if you were a juror specifically, like yeah, in a trial that and that was the stakes. That's fair enough. That's where it applies. It does not apply. And also that people said, like, it's a she said, he said, because there's like, they each have their own accounts. Like, if you think these accounts, their, their respective testimonies, if you want to use that outside of a courtroom sense, to what happened, if you think those really do equal each other and cancel each other out, uh, the depth that she went into and the complete lack of depth uh, that he went into, fair enough. That's your that's everyone's own personal judgment, Just but just in terms of thinking that ATP should issue. I mean, I've seen people feel like ATP should not issue a statement on this because innocent until proven guilty. It's like, oh my gosh, this is just not, is, no. <laughs> not how any of this not, works. That's
1: just not how it works. That's just no. not how it works. And, you know, you can't, uh, yeah, it's its just over and over again. It's, it's little, like, legal phrases thrown around as though they mean something in the real world outside of a courtroom, outside of the context within which those rules exist. And you know, and, and more often than not, I mean, people just use it as a crutch, right? Yeah. They, they use it as a way to bolster up, you know, I don't believe her. If you don't believe her, then just say you don't believe her. Right. Say that. But don't say innocent until proven guilty. We are not in a court of law. We're not. You know, this is the, maybe the court of public opinion. And people can argue Thomas Chatterton Williams is of the world will argue that canceling Ooh. is the same as a prison. Uh, prison sentence these days on social media. Okay, Barry Weiss, calm down. No, it's not. Like, if people shout at you on Twitter, it doesn't mean that like you can't think what you want to think or you can't express what you want to express. But yeah, so I think that you can't have the honest discussion, and it is it. It's not a discussion as to her the merits of her claim, in my opinion, and what she's saying. I think that she's used her platform. She said what she has to say. It's up to everybody to believe it or not believe it. It, it, but I don't think that you can have an honest discussion about domestic violence, you know, intimate partner abuse, emotional uh, abuse, all these sorts of things that happen in relationships um, and how they impact this world. Um, I don't think you can have that honest conversation if you're propping up arguments with innocent until proven guilty. That's not, not that's not that's not being honest. You know, like just yeah. say you don't believe her and then we can say that and then then we can now debunk and discuss yeah well and like citing this it's baloney
0: the one thing i will say and I, i'm not trying to push back too much on what you said when you started off this segment with saying the believe women thing that that expression or that sort of mantra does not necessarily mean you know don't think critically about you right. know the stories that you're hearing it sure. doesn't mean turn off your brain it, it doesn't mean and you know blindly accept anything be, I, I mean, I prefer just as a verb choice and doesn't really, it's more semantic than anything, just like listen to women. You know, it's like listen and hear what they're saying and take it seriously because she, there, there's reason, you know, this is not, there's a, the incidence of false reporting these things are so incredibly small right like the the, the, you That's want t- the thing. apply science to it or whatever sort of cold hard facts the facts are women don't lie about these things at any sort of normal rate <laughs> it's similar like voter fraud or whatever and, other sort of false <laughs> false panics are happening around here like it, it deserves and, and and if you at the end you know listen and read the story and decide you find holes in it or for some reason don't think it adds up to whatever your sort of own calculus is okay
1: but that's but, my point though. Yeah. It's like then you can have the discussion honestly. Right. Exactly from that persp- from yeah. that point. Yeah. But just kind of like you read, you know, 5000 words and you're like, meh, innocent until proven guilty." That's not an and and an entry point to having a discussion, to talk to talk about what are the biases? Why why won't you listen? Why won't you and un- why do you think that women just want to go out there and make a name for themselves by being A domestic violence victim that doesn't make sense and and i'm not going to say no women will women will say that because there's a lot of internalized misogyny that women have where women don't believe women Mm -hmm. which is one of the which is you know one of the most toxic things i think that happens because those women then give the authority to men to say well she doesn't believe them so this is like this isn't even like a feminist thing like this is just about facts because the women don't believe her either it's like that's why it's toxic when you do that you know But that being said, like, I do think that, you know, there is, like you said, this, again, cold, hard facts, statistical facts, like, like false reports, like statistically, incredibly low. And, and you take that and you compare it to the statistics regarding non-reported instances, and you see this mountainous gap. Of, of stuff that is not reported versus stuff that is falsely reported. It's like not even close. So like, how can you just, um, again, like you said, listen, like, how can you just automatically dismiss? And then the other thing I will say as well is that I would really, really, really recommend for people on Netflix to watch unbelievable.
0: I just started today.
1: Good. But I think that it's, it's a great, I mean, separate and aside from that, it's just a phenomenal 10 episode series. Um, and incredibly well-acted, well-written. And what you see very, very quickly is how differently everything looks. That whole show is, like, directed by women, created by women. It's a different lens within which to look at. In that case, it's, we're talking about rape. and how, But what you easily and very quickly come away with it's it's is that basically it's hard to watch that show and walk away thinking, like, reporting these crimes or reporting these things is easy yeah like why wouldn't she go to the cops why wouldn't she you know or even if she does go to the cops why wasn't it you know um um pursued you know and all these sorts of things it's like you're you're falling into the traps you know of 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 the way that crimes these, these sorts of like intimate crimes against women are Have been portrayed over time and and in pop culture and how they're discussed, how they're discussed by your family, by your friends, by the men in your life, by the women in your life. And it's not, you know, we you have to actively work to 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 strip that away, because reflexively. That is what kind of society conditions us to think. Innocent till proven guilty, you know what I mean? Like, like, well, why didn't she go to the cops? Like, well, if it was that bad. You know, like if it hurt her so much, like why didn't she, you know, and it's like, no, there there are reasons, but it, yeah. it takes us it takes our work to understand not, not all people not, who go not through, her work.
0: Not all people who go through this like this and like this uh react in the same way. It's not people who want the same thing in terms yeah. of what what feels like justice to them. That can be very different. Um yeah. and yeah, so there's not a one size fits all thing and, and that's just how you sort of and we can learn.
1: Think
0: critically and this is about the thing. it, you
1: yeah. Everyone can learn and everybody can take opportunities to kind of, yeah, take a time out and deconstruct why your reflex reaction is what it is. And, you know, and like you said, it, it, it doesn't mean that you just take everything at, at face value, especially, I mean, you know, as a journalist, like for, for right. you reporting it. I mean, that's the toughest, I think. I mean, I i don't know if you've read. Have you read Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow? No, I have not. Yeah. So um, but you can. Uh, reading that, and then reading some of the other the other um, reporting that was done, like during the Me Too movement and stuff like that, not during like as though it was past tense. I mean, obviously it's still ongoing, but um, it's it's such a t- it's such a tough line to walk of like how do you interview and support the victim while still keeping your journalist hat on, right? And making sure that that things are verified and and that you know. Yeah, that's, that's that's tricky. It's yeah. very, very tricky.
0: No, it isn't. It's something I've been learning and talking to people about how to do. People have more familiarity with these sorts of stories. Mm-hmm. And trying to do my best. Oya's story, I don't believe it's over. I believe there's still more that she will tell when she's ready. And so, yeah, so that's it's not the end of it. And, and hopefully it's not the end, or hopefully the beginning is in sight of how the ATP reacts to it. Because I do think their strategy of just sort of pretending it's not happening and pretending he doesn't exist... At certain points during his matches uh, on social media, is I don't that's an enduring strategy. I do think it's an interesting time for it, obviously, when there's no crowds in the stands and there's no one booing him or whatever. It can maybe to think it can sneak a get away with it a little bit more than they might otherwise. Uh, if this was happening in front of full stadiums with people booing or people holding up "I stand with Olea" hashtag you know posters. Which very might well yeah. happen. I mean, I hadn't, mean, I hadn't they, thought about that, but yeah. If there were if there were fans in, in London this next week, I in a, like a normal non pandemics, like a full arena worth of fans, I wouldn't be surprised if that had happened. Because there's a lot of people, a lot of women, sorry, a lot of men's tennis fans who, um, and I think it's interesting also specifically. We talked about this group before, like a year ago when everything happened, in, um if you remember the discussion we had a year ago with Zverev and the di- diabetes discussion around mm. uh, London and the yeah. thing in his bag. And I remember remarking then that it's interesting that Zverev's fan base is like very predominantly like younger women and like maybe even teenage girls. I'm not sure exactly what the average heirs, uh, sorry, uh, ages are. And so it's, in, it's been really interesting to me to see that demographic react to this story and how and how they really are, I think, much more supportive of and whatever support means of Olga. Then maybe your average fan base would be actually. Mm. I think I think they've been uh, that might speak to, to just to her.
1: I think that that speaks to a huge generational divide. Exactly. I suspect, yeah. right? Is is that which is great? I mean, it, it's it's all kind of the the progression that we see in a bunch of different topics. I mean, we were talking about this during Paris, right? Like the difference in how the younger generation talks about mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And how open they are in talking about that same with respect to, you know, how easily and quickly they stand up to homophobia, transphobia, all these sorts of things, you know, um, and in this way as well. I mean, you know, these are the these are the topics that are the hot button topics of their time. I mean, not necessarily adolescence. I don't think that they're that young, but they're formative years. Right. From when you're 16 years old, all the way until like you're your, in your like mid 20s. Are like, that's when you kind of find your hot topic issues. And these are the, these are the issues that have been discussed and been on, on, you know, TV and social media and they're, they're quick about it. And I respect the hell out of it, you know, which is, um, you know, there's, there's, there's hope for the youth. There's hope for the future. They're, they're quick. And And even, I mean, yeah. yeah, And even, you know, Daria Gavrilova, like, you know, posting that, that, and, you know, she knows that she's going to get flack for it and she knows that it's going, you know, it's not necessarily going to go down well with everyone but at the same time like if you know tosh you also know that she's very much like well why wouldn't i yeah like that's how i feel like you know why wouldn't i say something you know it's almost like kind of she's the one that's confused it's not confused in earnest but so yeah that you're right i mean yeah i think that that's that's a big generational shift yeah for sure
0: for sure um it's been a big shift in all sorts of times in our lives in america which we can talk we're going to do like a little patreon bonus segment on the, <laughs> the week's event election wise here but we'll wrap up the main part of the show here thank you guys for listening to no challenges remaining episode 282 courtney always lovely to have you on the show uh you want to follow along you're not listening you can do so by following us on twitter at ncr underscore tennis you can like us on facebook i guess it's still a thing our facebook's pretty dormant but if you're still into facebook good for you uh we're there facebook.com slash NCR podcast I think uh and then also you can support us on patreon it's a direct wonderful way to support us if you can uh we are at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining let' me see if we have any new backers since so the last show oh we have yes we have three new backers to report since the last new show they are David Ibersoff Tiffany and aluko hope so thank you to those three David Tiffany and Aluko for signing on to our patreon really appreciate it uh again patreon.com slash no challenges remaining is where we are there we can thank our patreon slam champ backers we thank every episode liz candle jonathan weinbaum mary carillo leah williams chuang nguyen betty audrey wellens sean mulroy susanna w jean simeon and antonio maycumber and our goat backers mike charles Cena, nicole copeland and j o d all right any any rant rave thoughts before uh non-election related stuff Uh, Um, in terms of things you've been enjoying? Has anything been
1: happening that wasn't the election? Um, I did watch last night, and I just hate to Google it because I get the title of it wrong all the time. Um, uh, I watched it last night, and I'm still thinking about it a lot, and anything that obviously, any piece of art that leaves a lingering impact on you whether or not you realize that you like it or not like it which is like a different thing is worth noting but um i'm thinking of ending things on netflix which is a charlie kaufman mm. uh film uh at least he directed it adapted it as well from a novel super like for 75 of that film like i just was so like in rap, like it it had me like, I was just, like, so into it. It was super interesting. The last 25%, I'm still trying to process and understand. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's worth watching. And um, if anybody has seen it, feel free to tweet at me, because I would love to talk to people mm. about it, because there's a lot to unpack. There's a, it's a very, very rich text, uh, as it were. But two great performances from Jesse Plemons and Jesse. forget her last name? She's in Wild Rose, I think. Oh, maybe? yeah. Um, yeah, she's
0: great. She's really good. Um, Have you seen Wild Rose? No, you I haven't. Should, you would, but you would I, like Wild I Rose? I keep meaning to. Yeah,
1: uh, Jesse Buckley, really Jesse Buckley. Buckley. Yeah, yeah, Wild yeah. Rose.
0: Yeah, Belated Rave, rave for uh, Wild Rose, which I saw back in. I
1: think you mentioned it back in the year. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah, you mentioned yeah, yeah. it as a as something where like yeah. My
0: my 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 rave here will be: I've not done a lot of culture consuming lately. I'm looking at my like lists of things, and it really it's really dropped off since tennis returned in uh, August. I've watched like maybe like I don't know three movies, but one I would watch a stand up special that's on, but it's it's not stand up because he's sitting down the whole time. So I, uh, categorize <laughs> it's weird, but um it's on, uh HBO Max, and it's called My Favorite Shapes by Julio Torres. Oh my. And it is, like... I kept thinking during that, like, toddlers would love it because it's very, like, tactile. So he's sitting and very, like, bright and iridescent and shiny. So it's this guy, Leo Torres, who's sitting at, like, a conveyor belt, in front of a conveyor belt. And, like, different objects that he selected come out and he, like, talks about them. And the first one's just a square. He's like, this is a square. Like, and just talk... Most of them are more involved than in that. And he makes up little stories about it. I don't know. It's, like... I was in the right mood for it. I feel like it's it's like semi absurdist, but also just like it's 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 nice. I enjoyed it. I found it very calming. Good. In this like complicated world, this guy and his and his little conveyor belt of shapes. And it's like a pedal operator, so he like pushes it and like it goes and moves the next thing along. And I don't know. It was like I was like, this is an incredible amount of like set engineering for a stand up special. There's like real <laughs> machinery in this in this set. Um Yeah. I liked it. So my favorite chase by Julio Torres,
1: love it. It's my pick. Two then. two pretty absurdist things that we've we've recommended. Yeah. So maybe our minds—that's where our minds are at at the moment of just is, kind of—is there like,
0: thinking of anything absurdist?
1: It's I wouldn't describe it as absurdist, but it's certainly like not tethered, okay, not yeah. tethered to to to.
0: I just remember seeing memes that were being, or maybe it was just like I want to say it was like David Ehrlich who did like a thread of like just making like rhyming things. It was Like I'm thinking of sending things. It was like someone going to a mailbox. <laughs> like I'm thinking of mending things. It was like someone using a needle. I'm thinking no. of uh, of um, what else was it? Like lending things, like a library, you know, whatever it was. No, it was- none
1: of that. It, it, it's I great. Know. I mean, it's it's like like I said, 70, first seventy five percent, like not that it made sense. It was still kind of definitely weird. There are moments where it feels like it's horror like something's going to happen and then there are other times where it feels like it could be like I don't know before sunset it's just two people in a car talking at length and then there's a moment kind of in the last back half where you're just where it just any sem- any sense that it was tethered to any place of of reality just fizzles and you're just like and you just kind of watching it. you're like what the hell am I watching yeah um so yeah so it was great i mean i i it was probably my favorite Kaufman film since Eternal Sunshine. Um cool. so yeah. it's it's definitely worth it. Go check it out.
0: On that note, yeah. we'll see you sunshine folks later. Bye. And yes, Eternal. we'll have a Patreon episode about the election. Check that out as well. Yep, yep. bye.
1: Bye.
0: college with some mystery.
1: I'd be satisfied I know in